0: I'm actually going to do something this morning that I've only done a couple of times since I've been preaching full-time. This past Sunday we finished up two series. On Sunday night we finished up some stuff that I've been reading in my morning readings and it just so happened to be a parable that coincided with the, the sermons we were looking at on Sunday morning. And I shared this passage from Mark 13 last Sunday night. And someone suggested that I share it again on Sunday morning. Uh, so if you were here Sunday night, you're going to hear some of the same things that I said this past Sunday night. It's, it's a slightly different sermon, but it's the same passage, and it's the same uh, general idea that I shared last Sunday night. So if, for those that were here, I apologize. You're going to hear some of the same things again. But uh, I thought about it a lot this week, and I didn't really want to do that. Uh, but the more I thought about the, the message uh, the more I felt like uh, it was probably a good idea. Uh, the title of this sermon is The King is Coming. And it's just, I don't believe in coincidence, but you were over there playing about Jesus is coming soon. Uh, she just sang about being in heaven and the only scars are the, on the hands of the reason that we're there. So it just, I feel like God put this together. And so once again, if you were here last Sunday night, I'm sorry, you're going to hear some of the same stuff again. Uh, But it's important and we probably need to hear it again. Um, In Mark chapter 13, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem uh, to go to the cross. Uh, He's actually predicted that the temple is going to be destroyed and that's caused a lot of uproar. It's really upset uh, his disciples. He's talking about all the different signs that are going to appear before the end of time. And there's going to be persecution and there's going to be tribulation for those who are followers of Christ. And he's like, you need to pray that you'll persevere, that you won't have to go through all this stuff. And right about verse 24, right before we start reading our passage this morning, he says, it's going to get really, really bad. There are going to be all sorts of horrible things going on in this world. And then I'm going to return. He talks about the coming of the Son of Man, and that's the second coming. When he returns. And finishing up chapter 3. And this, we're going to read verses 32 through 37. He says concerning that day or hour no one knows. Because he just talked about the temple being destroyed. And his apostles were asking when is it going to happen? How will we know? How are we going to know when this is going to take place? And he says no one knows. He says neither the angels in heaven nor the sun. But only the father. He says, but watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. And then he tells this parable. He says, it's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes, suddenly he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, and he repeats it, be alert. I don't know if you heard me, but I was singing along and she was playing, Jesus is coming soon. We don't know when it's going to happen. I've been hearing that my whole life. I can remember being a little kid, about 10 or 11 years old, and I was terrified. Because I thought that at any minute, Jesus was going to come back and I might not be ready. I used to be scared to go to sleep at night, scared I might die in my sleep and not make it. One of the worst prayers I ever remember being taught was that, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. That terrified me. I was about 11 years old, and we had a preacher in Rocky Mount, Mr. Ben James, and he, he was one of those good old-fashioned hellfire and brimstone preachers. Y'all remember those? He was good at it. Man, he was really good at it. And on Sunday nights, he would take the kids there was a bunch of us right around that age, 10, 11 years old, and he taught us all about heaven and hell, but hell is what stuck with me. And I can remember literally laying in my bed at night, 10, 11 years old, scared to go to sleep because I was afraid I might die and go to hell. But I was taught that if I just get baptized, everything's okay. So right about the time I was 11, every single one of us in that youth group got baptized within about a month of each other. And unfortunately... And it was with good intention. I don't believe anybody was being deceitful. But unfortunately, we got the impression that that was it. We were done. We got baptized. We're good to go for the rest of our lives. And it wasn't until much, much later, after I had kind of strayed in my teen years, that I realized that that was just the beginning. That getting baptized for any of us, regardless of how old we are, is just the beginning of this journey, of this waiting A lot of the parables Jesus taught were about masters and landowners giving their servants and giving their workers different things. You remember the parable of the talents. Each man was given talents according to their ability. They were given what they could handle and they were expected to do something. You see the parable, which we didn't go through on Sunday morning, but the parable of the the bridesmaids. And the groom comes in the middle of the night, and some of them's lamps are prepared and some of them aren't. And the idea, and you see it here in this very short parable, is that Jesus has gone away. He's not here physically on earth. But those of us who follow him, those of us who are Christians, those of us who have been baptized into his name, are to be busy. Not just doing busy work. Not trying to earn our salvation. That's already been taken care of. That's why he has those scars in his hands and his feet. But we've all been gifted. We all have abilities. Based upon what God knows we can handle. And God just expects us to be doing kingdom work. Whatever it is he has gifted you with. That's what he expects you to do. Use your kingdom gifts. Use your spiritual gifts. Use your time and your resources to the best of your abilities. Romans 12, Paul begins by saying your lives are living sacrifices. Everything that you have, everything that you are is to be used in service to Jesus. There were four points I made last Sunday night. I'm actually going to rearrange them a little bit this morning. But the fact is, is Jesus is coming again. He is coming back. The king is coming. The fact that the Messiah was going to come is both a historical event and a prophetic event. The very first prophecy you see about Messiah is in Genesis chapter 3. God has come down. Adam and Eve have sinned, and he's got Adam and Eve and the serpent there. And he says to Eve, he's like, I'm going to put enmity, enmity hatred between your offspring and and the serpent, and that was Jesus. The very first prophecy about Christ is there in the garden. You see passages in Isaiah, and Isaiah is full of them. Isaiah chapter 7 says, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. In Micah chapter 5, the prophet said, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And that little baby was born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. It was the fulfillment of, of hundreds of prophecies that the Jews had been given. And unfortunately, the majority of them missed them. They didn't catch it. For us, that's history, but that was an event in Scripture that was pointed to time and time again. And then Jesus went to the cross. He was buried and he rose again, just like he told them over and over again through the three years he was ministering he told his followers the son of man is going to be betrayed he's going to die he's going to be buried he's going to rise again and so it's somewhat astounding that when it actually happened they were looking around going i wish we'd have known he had told them even on that sunday morning when the ladies went down to the tomb they weren't expecting an empty tomb it wasn't until the angels asked them, what are you looking for the living for Jesus' first coming was a prophetic event that was fulfilled. And for us, it's history. As Jesus was in the upper room in that discourse in John, he's like, I'm going away, guys, but it's good. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. But if I go to prepare a place, that means I'm going to come back. The first time Jesus came, he came to save And he did did tell an interesting story one time where he said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. This is the Prince of Peace that said that, but what he was trying to help them understand is that if you follow me, you're going to make enemies here on earth. Your own family may hate you. I'm going to turn house against house, brother against brother, father against son. But ultimately he came to say, one of the most beautiful illustrations of that is when he is dealing with a woman called an adultery. And they're ready to kill her. They have stones in hand ready to kill this woman. And he kneels down and writes in the sand. And eventually they all go away and he looks up. He's like, where are your accusers? Aren't they here? And she says, no, Lord. He says, well, I don't condemn you either. But go and sin no more. Jesus came to save the first time. John 3, 16 and 17, we know that passage, we know it well. God loved us so much, he sent his son, that whoever believes in his son will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus hung on the cross, and as he was dying, he looked out and said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He looked out and he says, it is finished. The work I came to do has been accomplished. And then he rose from the dead. And then he ascended and went back to heaven. They're just standing there watch, watching as he goes away. And the angel says, why are you here? He told you this was what was going to happen. He told you he's going to come back the same way, so go out and get busy. He told you what to do. Matthew, at the very end, he says, Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them these things that I have taught you. And that's where we are today. The first coming is history. History and prophecy. The first time he came, he came to save, but he is coming again. But when he comes again, he's coming to judge. Some of the most frightening passages in Scripture are in the book of Revelation, where it talks about this conquering king coming with an army behind him, and he's going to destroy all of his enemies and put them under his feet. And for us, that is prophecy. That is still in the future. This passage isn't up on the screen, but if you want to turn to Revelation, Revelation chapter 20, and think about the difference between Jesus' first arrival and his second. In his first, he was born to Mary and Joseph, put in a stable in a little place called Bethlehem, and shepherds showed up, very meek, very humble, missed by the majority of creation. But when he returns, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, The Apostle John's trying to capture everything he's seen. He says, I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each one was adjudged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And whoever's name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And when you look at all of Scripture, there's only one way for your name to be written in the book of life. And that's to put your faith and your trust In the Lamb, in Jesus. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, says, We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell like the prophet said it would, and he's preaching to thousands and thousands of people who are gathered there in Jerusalem. And he tells them how the Messiah came, was rejected, was killed, but he rose again. And now he is all-powerful king of kings. They said, well, what do we need to do? It says, they were pierced to their hearts. They were terrified. What do we need to do to be saved? Because if he comes back and things haven't been fixed, we're in trouble. Peter says, repent. Change the way you think. Change the way you live. Repent and be baptized, and God will wipe away your sins, and they won't be held against you. And he'll give you his Holy Spirit, And His Holy Spirit will convict you. His Holy Spirit will empower you to overcome those things in your life. His Holy Spirit will help you read scripture and understand it. His Holy Spirit will help you walk this life. Keeping your eyes focused on the things that you need to be focused on. His Holy Spirit will empower you. And give you those gifts that Paul writes about. Love, joy, peace, patience. The Holy Spirit will mark you and seal you as one of his own. And when he returns, and he will, maybe morning, maybe noon, don't know. Maybe before we walk out the door today, we just don't know. When he comes, it says, every knee will bow those who believe and those who don't. And every tongue will confess that He is Lord, those who have put their faith in Him and those who haven't. One of the things that amazes me when you go back and read through the Gospels and read through the book of Acts, there was this expectation among the disciples, especially after the resurrection. Initially, their expectation was Jesus to march in and overthrow the government and become king and build a palace and sit on a throne. And that's what they wanted. That's what they expected, but that's not what they got. And that expectation slowly changed. And they realized this wasn't the Messiah we thought. To to borrow modern-day language, this is not the Messiah we wanted, but it was the Messiah we needed. But then after he ascends and the Holy Spirit falls and the church begins there in Acts chapter 2 and they go out through the world doing exactly what they were supposed to do, making disciples, there was this expectation. When you read about the early church, one of the things that impresses me is they would come together, they would sell everything they have and give to the poor and take care of one another and help one another because they honestly believed that at any moment Jesus was coming. We don't need all this stuff. We need to be out there telling people about Jesus. But yet here we are, about 2,000 years later. He still hasn't come back. He still is, but he hasn't come back yet. And sometimes I believe we have lost that joyful expectation because it's been so long. Been a little over 40 years since I was that 11-year-old kid, terrified that he was going to come back in my sleep every single night. That's expectation right there. It was misguided. But every night I lay there going, it might be tonight. And now here I am, 52 years old. And I'll be honest, the older I get, the more I'm ready. There are days when I'm like, come on, let's go. But that sense of urgency is not there. And perhaps it isn't for you anymore. Perhaps when you were younger, when you were new in faith and you were on fire, you were like, come on, Jesus. Perhaps you were excited to go out and tell people. And then life happens and time passes and we grow complacent. We grow comfortable and sometimes we grow lazy. Yeah, I know he's coming. It could be any day. How many times have we heard that? Jesus may come today. You've heard that preached right here before by other people. And here I am telling you the same thing, and you're going, yeah, I know. But do you really believe it? Do you really believe that the day might be the day, or is that just something that we've been telling ourselves our whole lives? He's coming back. And for those of us in Christ, we should be excited. We should be ready. We should be looking forward to that day. By show of hands, do you believe Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things new? And we're going to live in all eternity, new bodies, never growing sick, never getting old, never dying? Because that's what Revelation 21 talks about is the new creation. Where he says, I'll make everything new. He says he'll wipe every tear away from their eye. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because that stuff is gone. Do you believe that? And do you believe that the only way to achieve that is through Jesus? Yeah, we do. But if that's true, then hell and the lake of fire and the second death and eternal separation from Jesus is true as well because it's right there in those same words. If we believe that Jesus is the only way, and he said it, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no one can come through the Father except through me. If we really believe that and we are thankful that we are saved through the blood of Jesus and we have that to look forward to, what do we think about those who don't? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to ask yourself this question and be honest. Do you know at least one person, just one, out of however many billion people are on this planet, do you know at least one person, perhaps it's a family member, it's a friend, a co-worker, do you know one person that if Jesus came right now would be in hell? Can you think of just one? And that's not being judgmental, that's judgmental, that's being honest. Do you know one person that needs to know Jesus died for them? And that they need to make that decision to accept him? Do you know just one? Do you believe that they really are going to hell? They don't do something about it before Jesus returns? If you believe that, have you told them? Do you do everything you can to tell people about Jesus? You see, we all have different gifts and abilities. We're all expected to perform according to what God has gifted us to. That's what He expects. He doesn't expect you to do the things that I am gifted to do or me to do the things you're gifted to do. But one thing I believe I don't believe he was just talking to the 12. I don't believe he was just talking to those hundred or so disciples gathered there at the end of Matthew. I believe he's talking to every single believer. And that includes every single one of us in here. He says go out into the world and as you're going out into the world make disciples. Every one of us have an unbelievable burden. Now it's a joy. We should be thankful that we are allowed to participate in that. We should be thankful that God uses us to share the gospel and bring people to salvation. He does all the work, but he gives us the opportunity to do it. But they'll quote Spider-Man. If you know Spider-Man, with great power, there comes great responsibility. If you know that there's a heaven and a hell and you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and you believe that there's only one way to get to heaven and not go to hell, and you have a responsibility to tell people that you know and love that don't know. And I believe that if we had that sense of urgency that maybe we once had, and maybe we can recapture it as we get older, because the older I get, I realize my time here, my short little time here on earth will be over before I even realize it. And I'll be in eternity. And I'm glad that when I stand before Jesus, the only thing that will matter is whether or not I believed in Him and that His blood covers me. But it does say that we will be accountable for everything that we said. I I do believe that there are rewards in heaven and that you can lose your rewards in heaven and And maybe that's something we'll look at in a Bible study. Salvation, that's a free gift. But we have a responsibility as believers, if we really believe. And this is something only you can ask yourself, this is only something that you can do. Every day, when you're talking to people, when you're spending time with people, You have to ask yourself, does this person know Jesus? You have to ask yourself, am I going to tell them? And sometimes we're scared to do that. We're scared we won't have the right words. We may be embarrassed. We may not feel like we can do it. But it is a pretty simple message. And we have the Holy Spirit inside of us to help us. And I admit... I haven't done a great job of it in my personal life in my 52 years. But our challenge, and this is how I'm going to close our challenge every single day until Christ returns, we're supposed to be busy doing kingdom work, using our gifts, using our abilities. And one of the things we're supposed to do is tell others. If you played the lottery and you won. What was that big last one, a billion dollars? If you won a billion dollars in the lottery, would you call people and tell them? Would you let people know? Outside of your close, I see, No, I wouldn't tell everybody, but if I won a billion dollars, I'd be on the phone to my mama, wouldn't I? I'd tell people that I, I loved and trusted. If something good happens to you, people get on Facebook and Twitter and all those other things and just tell the world, people they don't even know about things that, eternally aren't that significant. But how many of us are as excited about the fact that we were lost and now we're found? We were blind, but now we see. Use your gifts and abilities. Use every opportunity you have. You don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to lead a Bible study. You know the best way to show people is live it. Live it and tell people and it may seem silly at first and I'm still working on it outside of my job just talking to people every day sometimes it seems a little odd to say hey Jesus loves you and not be funny and just be serious he's coming back I hope everybody in this room this morning on a personal level is ready we're getting ready to stand up and sing the song and if you're not then I'm going to invite you to come down this morning and get ready but I'd be willing to bet, I'm not a betting man, but I'd be willing to bet every single one of us in here know one person. Get that name in your mind. Get that face in your mind. Do you know one person that needs to know? That's our challenge. That's our responsibility. We're getting ready to stand up and sing this song, Trust and Obey. If you personally have to make that decision, I'm going to invite you to do so this morning. We've got water back here. We'll baptize you. But when you walk out the door today, think about that one person. And I'd be willing to guess we know more than one. Look for an opportunity. Don't beat them over your head with the Bible. Don't go say, go listen to the preacher or something. Just tell them, hey, Jesus loved you. Jesus died for you. Are you going to be ready when he comes? This morning we're going to stand and sing, trust, and obey Are you ready? Will you be ready when he comes?